Goes for goal! And finishes off the PSG victory! He's launched, Nuno Mendes rapide, Nuno Mendes passes devant Trondano! The tir! Oh, he's beau, celui-là! The but de Nuno Mendes! You know the football, it is what it is. The premier but de Ronald Colomboni! With the Paris Saint-Germain! Oh, quel joie! Hello and welcome to PSG Review, the show that would rather be bearer of better news, but I can only talk about what has happened, although it's not the end of the world, very far from it, of course, as we have a look at the positives as well as the negatives of the PSG trip to Milan. Such a shame that the result itself falls into the latter category. My name is Nico. Such a great thing that you are tuned in and joining me right here, right now. We have a lot to talk about around the latest Champions League night, and we'll get into that First, we also see what's coming after that, what to expect and talk a little bit about the resurrection of Marquinhos. It's quietly been one of the noteworthy things this season and quite an interesting situation all in all, but more of that a little later in the show. Online the show is at PSG Review Pod on Twitter and at PSG Review on Instagram and TikTok. And if you feel so inclined, take a moment to rate and to review show on whichever platform you listen to this from. Going to San Siro isn't the easiest tasks in the world of football, I think that's safe to say, it's not very controversial at all. And the first part of the delegation to experience that were the fans who were attacked by the Milan supporters who were wearing helmets and batons. Carrying them, they ambushed the PSG supporters on Monday night in the Travigli area. The Italian sources call them clashes between ultras, but my understanding is that they were rather unprovoked and PSG fans were actually being cynically attacked by around 50 Milan supporters. Some say that they were Kurvasud, I can't confirm that, but the Milanese were clearly there on a mission and well-equipped, so it was premeditated and one PSG supporter was stabbed twice and I can only wish them quick recovery. Apparently he was operated the same night and while the injury was serious, according to the Radio France on Tuesday, he isn't under threat of not surviving to tell his story. At least that, but this is just an awful and unnecessary, no other way to describe it. The videos online looked very chaotic from that night and uh, they seemed to support that it was really just an attack with no other purpose than to cause harm and violence. Uh, it's, It's not a good look for the Italian fans, pretty reprehensible. At the best, football fan and ultra culture is beautiful demonstration of love, community, dedication, passion and compassion and at worst it's this type of foolishness and I'm happy that our ultras represent us in much more dignified way these days making their presence felt by banners songs and flares it it hasn't always been like that of course but right now they're pretty much our best ambassadors really not that there would never be any issues but on the whole they are more focused on philanthropic community initiatives and keeping the energy up at the stadium rather than these negative types of things. It's unfortunate that we have to start off with this type of thing, but uh, there was, of course, also football being played. PSG came to this match in a good form and, of course, having beaten AC Milan at Park just a few weeks earlier. PSG lineup was unsurprising with Donnarumma in goal and, of course, we will talk about his experience in a bit. Then we had Hakimi, Marquinhos, Skriniar and Hernandez in the backline midfield with Ugarte, C. Emery and Vitinha and Mbappe, Colomuani and Dembele in attack. It's pretty much our starting 11 by now as it has been this season for the most part. 
the pits of San Siro was in a terrible condition. Looking at it was like something you'd expect in Coupe de France on some small stadium and not at one of the legendary stadiums of the world, even if that stadium starts to be pretty run down. And of course, it's used by two teams also, but not a great look and the ball wasn't moving too smoothly at all on that all the time. But of course, it is the same cross for both teams. PSG had pretty good start and Milan Skriniar, who of course is familiar with the venue itself and probably has little love for AC Milan as it is, did a remarkable run from a corner where Marquinhos headed the ball towards the goal corner and our giant Slovak headed it in from almost the ground level. I I was really worried that it would have been an offside, but uh, seeing the replays and slow motion, he really came from far and this could have been even practice scenario. I don't know if it was, but it easily could have been. PSG took the lead after nine minutes. Really impressive goal and a moment of joy. But it wasn't too long lived as three minutes later AC Milan was coming towards PSG goal and Donnarumma who saved the ball initially but couldn't really hold it. And then Rafael Leao who was really great on this match did a bicycle kick and it was even 1-1. PSG's defensive was a little bit of a deer in the headlights there and Donnarumma couldn't get it either. It was near the goal and just one of those. Not not great defending, not amazing goalkeeping, although the initial stop was good, but our defenders were unable to clear the ball from the danger area and Leo punished as a bit of a cold shower. Uh, The game had its moments. It was real end-to-end football and pretty entertaining at that, but no more goals on the first half. Uh, I would say that PSG had better chances, but if you don't score, you don't score. The same continued in the second half and then the same thing happened again that happened in Newcastle. The ball is in our box and our players stop playing because they feel like the referee should whistle. But the referee doesn't whistle even if both Leao and Hakimi are lying on the ground and Leao is holding his head. But if the referee doesn't whistle, then you can't stop playing. But our players did and AC Milan got a chance to cross the ball and Giroud headed it in. This to me is embarrassing because... This is such an entry-level thing. You just can't do that. Maybe on a midfield or in attack, you can try your luck. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of those things either, but I hope that by now, or at least after this, it's clear that you play, you don't assume. Well, it was 2-1 for Milan now, and it's a bit of a cliche with these Italian teams, but once they get their lead, they will park the bus, and that's what they did. They had a lower block than bottom half league on teams, and despite some reasonable attempts, PSG could not get a second goal, and this is it, 2-1, the end result. It's not all bad, though. I mean, PSG hit the woodwork twice, and there were, like said, some other good chances. Dembele's shot was very close to going in, as was Lee Kang-in's attempt when he came from the bench. There were a lot of yellow cards, and many of them for us, which might become an issue later on as they accumulate. I have to say, I wasn't too impressed by the referee either, but I say my complaining about them for times when something even worse and more significant happens. Mbappe was fairly invisible for the whole evening. He played 90 minutes against Montpellier for no good reason a few days ago, and it showed. I don't know if it was that or was it something else, but he wasn't at his best or even close to it. Hakimi was very good in attack, but that leaves his side of the defense entirely open. That's another thing I talked about in a recent episode, and now there was Rafael Leao running there, so that didn't help. 
Ugarte didn't have a great night either, and he was outperformed by Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who, for his credit, was really great the whole night. But still, PSG was leading in almost all of the statistics. Better expected goals, more possession, more shots and more passes with better success. But the match of football isn't won by those metrics. AC Milan had a few more shots on target, but quite crucially, they got one more goal. Let's talk a little bit about the night that Gianluigi Donnarumma had. The Milan supporters were greeting Donnarumma with counterfeit dollars that they threw on the pitch even before the match had started. The whistling was a strong soundtrack whenever he touched the ball, but in a way it wasn't too bad because this is the worst thing that can happen to him. I mean, in football, this is the most hostile crowd and perhaps if we ever play against them another time in future, they'll do the same. Perhaps they got at least some of the bitterness out of their system by now. Perhaps it will be some watered-down version of this, but he's had his baptismal of fire in club football in this sense. He had been there with the national team before and received not necessarily equally, but nevertheless pretty cold reception at that time too. But now this is done. In a world of football with all of its issues, with every single immoral club owner, federation official, sponsor and all that this very unethical industry consists of, why do we attack the players? I mean, those who do attack them. Players often come from the same class or background as you or I might come from. They're the ones who've done well, sure, who live life of, at the very least, relative luxury. Uh, but that's who you attack. Meanwhile, FIFA hands the World Cup to Saudi Arabia and UEFA has no issues with having an apartheid state as its member. And, and you feel like where we really need to draw the line is that our players don't go to another club that offers them a good contract. I mean, I fully understand the pride and the values and what have you. I get it. But it, is this really the focal point of our complaint? Because for me, it's not in the top 100. And, and I will keep the same energy. I promise you, if and when one of our players does the same. There's a great Twitter account that I follow. It's at Futus, that's F-O-O-T-E-U-S-E. And she tweeted something that really stopped me on my tracks a little bit. She was basically saying that, isn't it funny that when these certain fans try to destabilize the players of other teams, when it's a black players, it's bananas and monkey noises and, and things like that. And they think that is an appropriate reaction for them to just exist. But now the destabilizing process had deserved more of a creative process with all these notes printed and all that. I mean, Italy with Spain, they have a huge issue with racism and the stands over and over again. And they don't even seem to understand many times what is the problem. I mean, a certain segment of the audience doesn't seem to understand that. So I give you that they're not exactly the moral authority. And, and, and that's not to say that other leagues don't have issues. It's just that with this type of racism, it tends to be Italy and Spain that embarrass themselves time after time. So perhaps there's something there. and Perhaps that's not part of the football culture, but part of the culture as it is more broadly. Perhaps it's just a societal problem. And like I said, every country has them. Of course, France has its own issues, as do my country and yours, if they haven't yet been mentioned. But this time it was this and Donnarumma lived through it. And I'm not making a direct comparison, of course, with racism uh, at the stands and, and the treatment that Donnarumma got. Not at all, because they're quite a different thing. I'm merely talking about the ways that the fans are trying to destabilize player and how it, ugly it gets, how quickly. And if you think about it from that angle, Donnarumma didn't really get the same kind of thing that some players get just because they, they exist in this world. 
And I think it's a good thing, nevertheless, that Donnarumma has now had this experience because even if undoubtedly it was unpleasant, he will come out of it stronger. I trust that because now there's no stadium left where he should feel fear against every other team. He's just a football player. I keep on saying this and I don't say it as an excuse, but more of an explanation, I guess. This continues to be a brand new project. I think that's a key. It is our reality that we are immediately thrown into this extremely challenging group against only big teams who are able to win any match really on their day. And I feel like the project is moving in the right direction. Not as fast or as consistently as you or I would wish, but uh, the trend in the bigger scheme of things is positive nevertheless. We, we aren't there yet. We aren't ready. Uh, that's just the truth of it. But at the same time, yes, AC Milan has had their issues this season, but they were a Champions League semi-final team half a year ago. Again, there's no excuses. And I think we should have been able to win them even on this hostile crown, but it's not like we lost to a team with fewer merits. It's a tough group and... Here are some facts about it. There has only been one away win in eight matches. That was Dortmund in Newcastle. Milan scored their first goal in the group in this match against us. The first goal that they scored by Leo. That was the first goal that they scored in this whole entire group stage. Every match day, the group leader has changed. It has never been the same two match days in a row. Only Paris has been on top twice, but not consecutive weeks. Dortmund leads now by two wins, both against Newcastle. They also have draw against Milan and then PSG is one point beneath them. And after that, it's AC Milan and Newcastle on the bottom. But essentially, every team has got a chance to go through still when there's two matches to be played. This is the nature of it. Things move fast and there's all to play for. Anything can still happen and nothing for no one is guaranteed. There was also something else I wanted to talk to you about today because earlier this year in February, I dedicated a full PSG review episode to the struggles of one PSG player. Things then were not looking great and the title of that episode was We Need to Talk About Marquinhos. And I stand by what I said there because while I was talking about his time in general and broadly speaking in quite a positive way because throughout the years his had a numerous great performances for as many key goals and so on and so forth. But the backdrop in February then was that he was not great on the pitch as much as he wasn't doing too well as our captain. It's an interesting case, Marquinhos, because a few months ago when it was reported that the squad had voted him as the captain of the team, essentially not to strip the armband away from him, which he had been carrying ever since Thiago Silva left in 2020 after the Champions League final in Portugal. It was very contested. I mean, initially when Silva left, it was something of a no-brainer that we'd continue with another Brazilian centre-back, a sort of younger version of Silva as a, as a captain. But uh, last summer, it was all but clear. Uh, the level of his performances had dropped significantly and it was very inconsistent. All in all, the way he was playing, the, the end of the Qatar World Cup wasn't great for Brazil, but even less so for Marquinhos. And he was impacted by that experience. But even before that, he had had some not-so-great times and then came the excuses that we did not want to hear from our captain. It, it was then I recorded that episode that I mentioned. There started to be friction between him and the fan base, and I would venture a guess, which may or may not be true, but without Mbappe's extension saga and the seemingly unending confusion around it, 
Bappe would right now be the captain of the squad instead of being second in line, but as it happened, Marquinhos was still trusted by the squad and he has had something of a rejuvenation since. I did mention in the last episode that he didn't just have to prove that he's a fit captain, but that he was even a fit starter. And that got me to think about it a little further because his level has been very good and pretty consistent this year. I mean, not so much in Newcastle. I will give you that. <laughs> there he made a horrible mistake. They're practically giving the home side their first goal. But setting that aside, he has been solid. And perhaps this competition that he has experienced with the arrivals of Skriniar and Hernandez, he's managed to lift him up back to the level we know he has, but which we just haven't seen in a while. PSG, of course, has a long history of Brazilian players, and we've had some big personalities that are part of the club's folklore. Ryan, Neymar, Ronaldinho, Thiago Silva, and others. But as it turns out, Marquinhos has won more matches in Paris than anyone else. That number is now 300, and he's likely to become the player with the most matches played for the team before the season ends. That is, if he won't get injured or some other factor like that that influences the season. But it's very likely he's now 15 matches behind the current record holder, Jean-Marc Pilochet, having taken over Marco Verratti recently, and he already has the most European UEFA competition matches in the history of PSG. But is it just the fact that there was a healthy competition pushing him forward that cut him back to this level? I mean, it could be, it could easily be, and I don't know what are all the things that make difference in situations such as this, but it is noteworthy that for the first time in his whole PSG career, which is quite long, Marquinhos is the only Brazilian player in the squad, and with the departure of Verratti, he's also by far the most seasoned player in these specific colors. That can be a good or bad thing, but perhaps the relative absence of his precise peers, Brazilians or the ones who have been part of all these different PSG variations throughout the past years, gives him some freedom. Perhaps his close connection to Neymar made it a little bit difficult at times to be an effective captain because Neymar is an artist, but he's also a strong personality, armband or not. But I don't think that Marquinhos would have necessarily felt equal with him as far as football goes. So perhaps some of these departures have helped to clarify his role in the squad. It's all speculation, but it's a curious thing anyway. This season is the first time since 2009 and 2010, so before QSI, that PSG has only had one Brazilian player. This is the first time in a very long time that there's not a Brazilian block on the locker room, and Marquinhos might feel that. I don't know, but if he is, he's seemingly feeling that in a good way. This, by the way, is also the first time since 2011 that we don't have Argentinian player in the locker room ever since Javier Pastor's arrival. So between these two countries, we have only one player now. And this all is a result of many things, I guess. Partially, it's coincidence, I imagine, because those specific players that we have had have left for various reasons, but also because the team has become increasingly French. That had been the plan that didn't seem to take off, but last summer, the tide turned dramatically and of course we also have a handful of Spanish players and many Portuguese ones but our South American delegation is now only Marquinhos and Manuel Ugarte from Uruguay of course. Somehow I feel like these things may not be unconnected. The return to his old level by Marquinhos and the fact that perhaps the captain's role is more natural for him now and the lack of that support system of his fellow countrymen because now he's just Marquinhos the captain for everyone and no one really can dispute that position so long as he plays well. It might be easier for him to relate to everyone as they are. 
Both Hernandez and Skriniar recently complimented Marquinhos for having made their adjustment to the new team easy. And of course, we've seen how it's gone. For the most part, Skriniar said that Marquinhos speaks good Italian. He came to Paris from AS Roma after all. So supposedly that is the language of our defense between certainly Donnarumma, Skriniar and Marquinhos. But then Marquinhos also, of course, speaks French with Hernandez and Mukiele and Portuguese with Danilo and also when Unamens will be back. So he would be able to bring things together there in our defense as long as his head is in the right place. And this season, unlike the last one or even bit before that, it very much seems to be. Uh, with things like this, I never really want to get too much ahead of myself because everything can change in an instant. But like last February, when I was bearer of far worse news and updates, I was talking about that specific times. So I can now only talk about this moment. And this moment has a feel like things are moving back to the way they were in a good way. So long may that last. Up next on Saturday, early evening, late afternoon, local time in France, PSG will travel to Reims to play against Wilstel Stade Reims. Not necessarily an easy match, not at all. Last season, they did very well under this young coach and currently they are fourth on the league on table. And a striking distance, uh, they won't only have a home field advantage, but of course, they'll have had a full week to prepare for this. While PSG has two away matches in a trot, a lot of traveling and pressure to sustain, but fortunately, we have a little bit more options now and not every player will have had played 90 minutes in Milan. After Stade Reims, we have big match against Monaco, and that could be the difference maker in this first half of the season. Nice is now leading the table, and they're getting their wins with the tightest of margins, and we don't know how long that will continue, or will they be able to carry this form throughout the whole season? You'd, you'd imagine that, perhaps not this consistently, but in Ligue 1, there's been these things that have happened, that some team just ends up having an incredible season like Lance last time. We barely won the league with one point after an undefeated autumn, especially the second half of Lance was really amazing last season. Or Orlel a couple of years ago, or Monaco before them. So you never know, but it's not guaranteed either. But I do feel like we need a statement against Monaco and Reims also. After Monaco, it's the rematch against Newcastle, but this time on our turf, of course, in Paris. So busy times, certainly no small matches in store for the team. Not an immediate thing, but it was also reported now that PSG will play the Trophée de Champions match against Toulouse in France. This time, not sure yet precisely where, but it will be on the 3rd of January. So that's how the new year will start for us. PSG women's first team has had a bit of a weird one, uh, I must say, since two of the last home games haven't been played to their conclusion. Uh, first one was interrupted by a local fireworks display by disgruntled kids who had been denied an entry to the match. They shot fireworks on the pitch and the game was left there. And the second one on the weekend, last weekend, the pitch wasn't in a good enough condition after the range. Uh, it had to be cancelled moments before the kickoff. And like I said, both of these matches were home matches, so we can't really just shrug them off. The situation as it is, is that there is supposed to be a 5,000 people capacity small stadium as part of the new training center in Poissy, which would be built for the women's team and for the youth team too. But that wasn't part of the first phase of the building project. I looked it up from the official website of the training center and it says that the stadium is due to be built around the second phase of the project after 2024. 
So after 2024. So according to this information, it won't be ready anytime soon since we are only gearing towards 2024. And according to this information, it's not due to be ready after 2024, but it is due to be built after that. So that is a genuine issue. There's been some rumors that PSG would finally invest more in the women's team and prioritize it a little higher, which can't come moment too soon because we can't continue to lose our key players. But when it comes to that, seeing is very much believing. I hate to say it, but we have to be realistic here. Currently, the conditions aren't great, and especially this small stadium is, in my opinion, desperately needed also to build a community around these matches, around this team, because they deserve it. I mean, many of the bigger matches in the Champions League and against Lyon domestically, these are the matches that have often been played at Parc des Princes, which hasn't been quite full, but a good atmosphere nevertheless. Against Manchester United recently, attendance was well over 10,000 people. It's been also more in previous matches, but your average domestic league matches are quite a different story. But just to say, there's potential. There's potential when the conditions are good. PSG women will play next Sunday in Dijon and after that they'll start the Champions League group stage in Amsterdam against Ajax. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening to once again. I do appreciate you and sharing this moment talking about PSG. My name is Mikko and you can check me and the show out online at PSG Review Pod on Twitter and simply at PSG Review on Instagram and TikTok. And rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this from. As an independent podcast like PSG Review, without massive marketing budgets and such, you can benefit a lot from those types of things, ratings and reviews, uh, because they push the algorithms to a more favorable direction. And with every new listener, it becomes a little easier to give you the show every week and share these thoughts and try to elevate the conversation. Sometimes football is talked about on a pretty dull level, but we're trying to bring things together in a way that's not entirely just stating the obvious or making outrageous claims and hot takes with a hot head and lack of context. So thank you for choosing to listen to PSG Review. Until next time, peace. Peace.